And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. This is Tom Laurie, and my guest today is Price Waterhouse Cooper's Global Leader for Strategy and Leadership, Blair Shepard. Blair is also Dean Emeritus of Duke's Univer- Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and was the founding CEO and chairman of Duke Corporate Education, and he was the principal force behind opening Duke's campus in China. Welcome, Blair, and let's get started. Uh, many people I'm, I know... I'm glad to be here. So there's... For our, our audience, tell them about Price Waterhouse Coopers and what it does. So, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers is is one of the largest professional service firms in the world. Um, it's actually a network, by the way, Tom. So it's it's more of a federated structure. Um, it, it's not a firm. The U.S. firm is a firm. The U.K. firm is a firm. But we you think of us as the United Nations, really. Um, we have the largest set of accountants in the world. We have the largest set of tax practitioners in the world. We, um, and then we do almost everything else you would think about related to consulting from strategy to uh, people and organization. And we have 265 or so thousand professionals around the world. And I know you're not uh, there as an accountant. So what is your role there? So I'm the global leader of strategy, which is an internal role, um, and leadership. So part of the reason I took the role is actually it's rare you get those two things in the same job, the ability to sort of think about where does the place go and does it have the capability to get there at the same time. And so that opportunity I just couldn't turn down because it's a really interesting combination at a pretty interesting time in life. So think of it as I, I help get the – leadership in the network to think about where they want to go in the future and ensure that the other people can get them there. Well, that was quite a jump from uh, Duke to Price Waterhouse. What was the catalyst for that? Well, um, I just worked myself out of a job. So I had started, founded Duke Corporate Education and loved it, actually. I could have stayed there the rest of my life, but was persuaded to become dean. And then in the process of that, uh, um, got Duke to agree to open a campus in China and, and therefore sort of step from CEO to dean to primary negotiator in the relationship with the China campus and, um, and essentially gave up all the other roles. And so I would have just gone back to be a, a faculty member and wasn't really ready to do that. So I went on the market, thought I'd do something like dean or university president, but this offer came along, and the, and the former chairman, my previous boss, was too persuasive, so I finally ended up going there. It's been fun. And what, you know, in a sense, um, I wish I had discovered earlier in life that doing something completely different would be this much fun. And what do you think is the big difference between that and the uh, academy? Um, 
so so there are probably in, in some ways partners are like faculty, right? They they um, they really do own the business, and so they have a, they have a lot of authority and a lot of autonomy. Um, and so you have to use the same kind of persuasion tactics, and you have to get them on board and and, and lead rather than manage in a way. But but there are three big differences. One is um, they draw income at the end of the year. They, they, a lot of compensation is a result of how well the firm does in any given year. And so they're very they they're very practical in the sense of knowing what's what's happening on the ground. And and in some ways, therefore easier to have a conversation with about the current realities we have to address. The second is just the sheer scale. I mean, we're everywhere, right? We're in 156 countries. We're, we're involved in virtually every part of business and, and many, many parts of government in terms of advising and supporting. And, um, and so, in a way, I used to think that Duke had an expert on everything. BBC really does have an expert on virtually everything, right? And, and, it's, and then I think the third piece is um, it's it's built around integrity. I don't mean to say the university isn't, but PwC starts there. And and so the people are just really, really, really decent, remarkably decent people. Well, and you've had uh, in your role and certainly at your, your role at Duke and with what you did in China, you've got this broad uh, view of what's going on in the world. And what we really want to talk about today is uh, some of the trends. I know you wrote a book, which we'll talk about just briefly at, towards the end. But what are the trends that you're ser- seeing and globally, and then nationally, and what worries you? So we actually did a <laughs> we actually did an interview for people in about sixty countries around the world. So from government to business to you know taxi drivers and people in coffee shops. And what was striking is that they were all worried about the same thing. So I think I'm worried about what the world's worried about. Right? Um, and we, we summarize that, this word ADAPT, you know, acronym ADAPT. And um, I'm really worried about, if, if you go to the heart of that, um, sort of four things in that. But one of them is that um, the disparity between cities, between regions, between states and provinces, and between countries and between individuals is growing too much. And, and I think it's unsustainable. And um, I worry particularly about the generation just coming in in the workforce. Um, I also worry that the institutions that make the place work, you sort of think about institutions that are like water to fish, right? It's the police force, the legal system, the education system, the tax system, political system. They're there, and because they're there, we can get on with life, right? What's happening is we don't trust them as much as we used to. You know, about Lebanon, I think 96% of the citizens in Lebanon just don't trust the institutions of government in Lebanon. And and when that happens, the place just doesn't work. It's if, if fish don't have water, they can't swim. You know, people don't have institutions, we can't work, right? We can't we can't progress in life. I worry that um, we don't have. Um, I worry the technology is. Um, getting ahead of us and and it's causing harms that we're having trouble catching up with. So think about carbon in the climate or think about, you know, um, social media and 16-year-old males committing suicide or girls self-harming. And then finally, I'm worried we don't have the leaders to actually take care of that. So so a lot of worries. <laughs> that, it, 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 I spend a lot of time worrying. I'm an optimist, by the way, Tom, but, but um, I'm increasingly worried. Well, we're going to take a cut here for a break. We're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Blair Shepard, Price Waterhouse Cooper's global leader for strategy and leadership. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for spreading the word about the Mentors Radio. Our podcast downloads have increased 500% since the beginning of this year. Make sure you tell your friends. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm today's guest mentor, Price Waterhouse Cooper's Global Head of Strategy and Leadership and Dean Emeritus of Duke's Fuqua School of Business, is with us today. And we're talking, and this is Blair Shepard, and we're talking about employability in the new COVID, post-COVID environment. I want to note that Blair has a new book out, 10 Years to Midnight, Four Urgent Crises and Their Strategic Solutions. In it, he offers his insights on the seemingly overwhelming challenges that we're facing and then provides a path forward that breeds optimism. You will find a link to this book on our website, thementorsradio.com. So in the last segment, Blair, we were talking about your optimism, and I first want to go back to the acronym that you developed, ADAPT, Asymmetry, Disruption, Age, Polarization, and Trust. I, I yes. suspect that most of our listeners understand uh, the aging of the population, age disparities around the well, maybe not around the world, certainly polarization, and I think the trust issues are certainly top of mind with all that's going on, and we're certainly seeing uh, a breakdown in Lebanon uh, right now as we talk. Talk about what you mean by asymmetry. Yeah, so by asymmetry, I mean disparity, really. Uh, we had to get a word that would make adapt, and so asymmetry is kind of an academic word to mean disparity, right? And so the way we think about it is um, because of globalization and, and technology and then really simple measures like GDP, we actually grew wealth massively over the last 70 years, but it didn't get distributed yet, right? So certain cities became really, really successful. The rest were left behind. Certain people became really, really successful. The rest were left behind. And so, um, and actually, I think we have an intergenerational issue. So the kids coming out of college today or coming out of high school today looking for a job, they, um, they're going to start with salaries much lower than you and I started with when we came out, fewer options. And, and then a, uh, a kind of a career path is going to change far more dynamically. And then the other thing is they're going to have um, a tax burden much greater than we had. And so it's the disparity between people, and it's growing everywhere in the world. It's not just an American phenomenon, by the way. It's everywhere in the world that's growing, and it's, it's accelerating, actually. And the disruption, I assume, uh, that has to do with technology and the disruption, the structural changes that are underway that we're seeing? Yeah, we, we mean that, um, but actually we, we mean something um, more specific in the context of the worries, which is um, the unintended consequences of technology. So, so um, two, two quick examples. Think about the um, Industrial Revolution. It, it created phenomenal wealth and brought, it created actually liberty really in a way. It created freedom of the kind we'd never seen before. But when the people started it, they didn't realize that carbon production would actually end up being a thing that could, that could potentially harm the existence of all individuals, right? And so carbon is an unintended byproduct of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and therefore, air temperature and flooding and all the things associated with climate change. Another example is um, because technology platforms are everywhere in our lives, they're on the phone, they're on the computers, they're everywhere, the, if there's a problem on them, it becomes a population-level problem. So 
when you and I were kids, and I don't mean to put you in my same age category, so such are a little bit younger, but when you and I were kids, um, we would die either from disease or because we did something stupid, right? The 16-year-old male now, the, the fastest growing cause of death is suicide. And, the, and uh, self-harm is growing dramatically among girls of the same age. That's a consequence of the ubiquity of uh, social media, right? And, and so it's, it, no one who created social media meant to harm democracy or polarize society or cause kids to do that. It was just an unintended consequence, and we have, we have to manage them because the unintended consequences are increasingly serious. Well, let's start with the challenges ahead. I, I think you've laid out a little bit about uh, certainly the, the, the crises. What are the challenges then for a company going forward? What are the things that they should be thinking about? And then we'll talk about the individual. So if you think about uh, coming out of COVID in particular, they have a dual problem now, right? They have to repair the damage from COVID. Um, uh, they have to, um, they've got to fix their balance sheet. They've got to bring customers back. They've got to bring employees back. They have to fix their supply chain, which are probably damaged. And that's really serious work. And the problem is it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's not like it's over yet. So it's continuous repair. At the same time, they have to rethink their business in light of the things I just described. So a few questions. Um, are they ready to compete in a platform-based world? Right? And, and that doesn't mean they have to be like Google or Amazon or, or any of the others. It means they have to know how to compete in a world that is dominated by them. Um, are they ready to get to net zero in a way that society is going to force them? And are they ready for the physical risks of climate? Are they ready for a world that's going to increasingly localize? I, I think that one of the consequences of, of COVID is it's accelerated the desire to bring things back home. And are they ready for that? And then are they ready for the workforce implications of the three things I just described? And, and the kind of social pressure that they're going to feel around, are they a cause of social, are they a, a cause of mobility problems or are they a solution? Right? Um, are they a cause of inequity or are they a solution? And so I think, that they're going to have to rethink their business at the same time they're doing the repair. But what you don't want to do is get back to who you were before and then fix it all over again. You actually want to repair in a way that sets you up for the future. Pretty tough leadership task, by the way. Really, really hard leadership task. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio. And today we're talking with Blair Shepard about improving your prospects of employability in the COVID and post-COVID environment. So just so everyone is clear, um, not everyone understands the importance of the balance sheet. And since you were the uh, Dean Emeritus there, or the Dean of the Business School, very quickly talk about the importance of the balance sheet with regards to uh, what it allows a company to do, the flexibility. Not, not everyone understands that. Yeah, so the issue with the balance sheet, when a balance sheet's really in trouble, actually the, the firm may not be a going concern, right? Because essentially um, they don't have the cash or the capacity to draw on debt or investment to sustain the business, right? And, and so one of the ways businesses get in trouble is that um, they, they have uh, customers who bought things, but the money's not coming in yet. And so they have a cash flow issue. If you have a strong balance sheet, that's easy to manage. If you don't, you can actually go bankrupt because your receivables aren't coming in fast enough, right? That's the, that's the negative version. 
to your point about what it allows you to do is the balance sheet allows you to try things to live through crisis to uh, invest and to grow right and if you don't have it um you can't do it and so a lot of people look at the income statement the balance sheet is just as important as the income statement think of it as um an athlete um is an athlete fit are they strong are they powerful that's the balance sheet do they win the race that's profit and loss that's a good explanation and then another thing so people are clear when you talk about platforms, uh, I, I mean, Google's a platform, I guess uh, Facebook's a platform. Maybe you can differentiate platform from things that are not platforms so everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah, so the way to think about a platform is, first of all, it's, it's virtually everywhere, right? And so Google, we search through. Amazon, we buy through. Facebook, we do social media through. It's everywhere, right? And so... Um, it's ubiquitous, if I could use that word to describe it. It's in all places. The second thing is it's, it, you, you build things on top of it, right? So you think about um, uh, the, the mobile telephone. It's actually apps get added on top of that as a platform, and it's the capacity to add adjacent things that makes platforms powerful. So Amazon started as a book company and then became essentially a complete retailer. It was the ability to go from books to other things that made it into a platform. Um, and so a business that isn't a platform is a business that's kind of a standalone business that does its own thing and sells its own services or its products. So PwC, although it has many, many attributes, actually isn't a platform business because it, it, isn't, it isn't a thing that you build things on top of. We just sell a service, we sell a service, we sell a service. Um, we have to learn to compete in that world, but um, but, but um, there aren't very many. And the other thing that happens, by the way, Tom, is there's a network effect. So when the platform gets powerful, um, every time you add a person, it gets more powerful. And so winners take all in a platform-based world. And do you, do you envision some kind of uh, legal activity around uh, those platforms in terms of breaking them up? I, we're seeing a lot more in the press today, but... What are your thoughts? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Should it be done? So I think there's, a, I mean, I think in a way there's a there's a challenge here, which is uh, if you take the U.S., the platform companies in the U.S. are competing with the platform companies in China, and um, they have way more people than we do, right? So if you think about analytics and AI and the things that you do on top of information, which makes a platform powerful, um, China has a natural advantage in sheer scale. The degree to which we reduce the scale of the platforms in the U.S., we risk making them non-competitive. The problem is that platforms, as I described, just keep adding things on top and on top and on top, and the consequence is they can create sort of anti-competitive circumstances in their own country. And so it's a bit of a dilemma we have, actually. Um, so we're going to have to navigate that one really cleverly, I think. I think we will, but, but it's... It's a very different thing from regulation of the business that founded Duke, for example, the tobacco business, right, um, where they split it up. It's going to take much subtler um, policy and legislature than, than we had back then. So welcome to the 21st well, century. We're going to cut. So we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the implications now for people's careers with these things. And we'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Blair Shepard, who's PricewaterhouseCoopers Global Leader for Strategy and Leadership. Remember, you can take the Mentors Radio Show with you anywhere by subscribing to our podcast at TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie, The Mentors. I am with today's guest mentor. 
Blair Shepard, who is the Head of Strategy and Leadership for PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we're talking about employability going forward in the new COVID, post-COVID environment. So we've talked a little bit now about uh, the, some of these, uh, I, I guess, the, the adapt issues. And we have to adapt. I get that's what you're talking about. Um, exactly. So, so now let's, let's break. I, I know you, you like to talk about or you do break things into four particular groups of people and how yeah. uh, these various groups should be looking at all of these issues uh, and what they should be doing to prepare for what's coming. Uh, and they are. What are those four groups? So one of them are the people entering the workforce. Um, another one is the people leaving the workforce or, or near the latter stage is not quite leaving. So think about it as someone who's had a career for 25, 30 years in the same basic job or company and, and needs to move on into something else. Um, people in the mid-career who are uh, have debt and, um, and putting their kids through school and are at risk of losing their job or lost a job. And then the fourth group we just added, actually, which is of the people that um, – uh, the economic decisions we took around COVID pushed off a cliff. So a uh, mother who was subsisting, doing okay, but had two, two jobs and lost one or both, or a person who had a drug habit and, and it kicked it but needed an antidote that didn't come in the mail on time, or people would push off a cliff and had to essentially rebuild their lives. Those are the four groups. All, all and real challenges. Yeah, so what does your crystal ball say for each of these four groups, and what should people do to get ready for the new environment? Um, so let's take them together first, and then, and then a quick point on each one, um, Tom. So so if you take um, a few things, just the whole world we just described, one of them is think of yourself as a platform, right? So, um, you know, in the life I lived, I was an assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, associate dean, dean, and there was a linear element to it. Today, I think what happens is you go from job to job to job. Life is sort of a set of chapters versus a linear path. And so if that's the case, have a job that um, – uh, has really that's really interesting that pays you okay, pays you well. You can get well, good, well compensated from, but actually teaches you forward-looking skills. Or start a business that does the same thing, and use that as a thing you do, which then gives you expertise and then and then introductions, and then move to the next platform, move to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So same kind of adjacency argument over the course of your life. The second one I think is. Um, be a technically savvy humanist, right? Get, sort of accept STEM and what it stands for and technology and what it stands for and learn it and learn to love it. But remember that technology has to work with people and so understand people as well and figure out how to make those two things into whatever you do. Uh, a third one is is manage your relationships. So one thing that people do, if you take um, the middle category, the people who are in mid-career or the people who are in the latter stages, is they'll retool themselves, but they'll retool themselves with, within their existing set of, of business relationships. The problem is they're retooling themselves to a different world, and so go hang out with people that are of that world versus the world you came from. Um, I think the final general point is be curious. Right. Um, and then there's advice for each of the four groups. But to me, all four of them should pay attention to that same piece of advice. Um, this is so then, yeah. 
We're going to go, we'll get into the four groups. So this is Tom Lohr. You're listening to the Mentors Radio. We're talking with Blair Shepard about improving your prospects of employability in the COVID environment. So one, a couple of things there. Number one, uh, you, I think one of the things you touched on is open-mindedness, adaptability. Yeah. Uh, this is not going to be linear, which means you've got to be very uh, adept and open, as I said. And it's not about titles anymore. It's about skills, uh, aptitude, and yeah. attitude. And then when you say STEM is uh, the acronym for science, technology, engineering, and math, just so everyone understands what we're talking about here. And I'm one of those probably because I I took engineering, but I found that I'm not an engineer. I wouldn't be the engineer that I would go to to do engineering, but I learned enough about everything that I'm at least able to converse. I think that's what you're talking about. You don't have to be an expert at the tools. Some, Some will be but at least be aware of how these tools can be employed. Yes, exactly. That- I mean, you have to understand what it means. Um, you don't have to be an expert at all, but you've got to understand it because um, it turns out if you're really good at managing people and you're really good at understanding how human systems work, you can go a long way in life. But if you don't know technology, you're becoming increasingly irrelevant, right? The problem is if you're technology capable and you don't know what it's doing to people, you're actually going to cause harms or you're going to create something that doesn't, that won't last a long time, right? And so um, you kind of have to balance those two really well. And, and in a way, Tom, take the thing you're not necessarily good at and, and learn to love it. So if you really were a psychology person as a kid and you love people and you can persuade anyone of anything you can negotiate, go learn tech. If you're really good at tech, you probably want to understand how people work, right? Um, and so fill in, fill in the thing that you you are most afraid of or, or least capable at. You don't have to be an expert, but you got to know where it's going. So that would go, I think, along the lines of what you write about is upskilling and reskilling and learning these new things. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now, exactly. Now, you, you also talk about your profile and own your profile. What is What do you mean by profile, and how do you own it? Um, so what I mean is it's sort of the combination of the relationships you have, the things you're good at, and the things you've done in life, right? And and you have to figure out how to describe that in a way that has value today. Right? Now, what's interesting to a lot of people is, is they, they, get, they get stuck in a rut, and they say, I know how to do this thing in this sector, but they don't understand it generalizes, right? So they've been really good at oil and gas. And so they said, I know how to run a spreadsheet in oil and gas. I know how to negotiate. I know how to work with vendors. I know how to hold a relationship. I know how to make a business function, Um, but it's in oil and gas. And what they don't understand is actually that set of skills translates to almost every other organization in the world. They just don't know how to take it and reposition it. Um, And and so the jump, if you think about the people who are later career and have to make a move, the jump isn't as extreme as they think because they've accumulated a whole host of expertise that's valuable in other places. They just don't know how to reframe it or recast it to make it useful in another place. And, And so what you have to do is change is change your identity in a way that's consistent with who you are at your core, but relevant to today. We don't, you know, we use this kind of funny phrase, traditioned innovator. And so you have to do that with yourself, which is remember your core, remember what you bring to the party, 
but then figure out how to position it for the world we live in today. And uh, we're going to so come back. We're going to we're going to cut for a break here, Blair. So we're going to be back in a few minutes with Blair Shepard, Price Waterhouse Cooper's Global Leader for Strategy and Leadership. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie, and today we're with Blair Shepard, who is the Dean Emeritus of Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and currently the Head of Strategy and Leadership at Price Waterhouse Coopers. He has a very broad view of the world and has uh, learned a great deal in sharing his insights about employability and the new COVID, post-COVID environment. So when we were going back, I want to come back to this, uh, when you're talking about this uh, profile, own your profile, uh, I, this is really, really learning about what your strengths are and what you're good at and all of that and what's transferable is something that people really need to reflect on. I agree with that completely. And I've also learned that if you don't define who you are, other people will. So you've got to be proactive on that. Otherwise, you're going to be pigeonholed. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's a really, I mean, it's a really important insight. Tom. So, so the the issue is, um, if, just imagine someone looking at a resume, right? Um, I look at a resume. One of the things I do is I look at you know where they work, um, uh, where they grow up, uh, where they go to school, for example, and and I'll I'll draw inferences about who they are, and I'll interpret the experiences they describe from the lens I bring. Right. The problem is uh, two things. First of all, it, therefore, I tend to root who they are in their ancient history rather than their current reality, right, who they are today. And second, I'm bringing my own kind of lens. It's not, it's not meant to be biased. It's just the experience I've got. Right? And so if you don't shape the interpretation um, for me as the interviewer or the hire or the recruiter or the person going to give you money if you want to start a business um, – you let me you let me define the rules, and uh, you know I learned a long time ago that that if you let someone else define the rules of the game, they after you're playing their game, not yours, and so right. it's about your career. It's your game. No, I, I I so I'm in the world of startups now, and uh, one of the things that's so important, and I know some people, if they get as you well know, eighty percent of all the startups fail. So you have a lot of people running around feeling like they were part of something that was a failure. I, I flip that around and say, boy, I'd rather have somebody that's been in a startup that failed than one that was a success because they've learned some of the hard lessons of cash and making uh, various milestones. So I've, I've always looked at people from the standpoint of what struggles they've had, what they've overcome. Uh, and sometimes people don't talk about that because they play that down. They feel it's a failure when, in fact, it's part of that uh, tapestry that they bring to the table that you were talking about as you get older. Yeah, let me, let me give you a personal example of that, right? So the time in life when I think I learned the most, so that we made the mistake of starting Duke Corporate Education, which is a business that depends upon travel, right? It's essentially um, uh, managers and executives and people from organizations going to learn somewhere, right? And we did that um, a year before 9-11. So 9-11 hits, and um, we have a serious cash flow problem, right? And um, we're at a point where um, we are, if, if we don't manage our cash really, really, really well, we're bankrupt. I learned I stayed up more nights till 5 o'clock in the morning sweating spreadsheets and thinking about how, where is the money going to come from? How do we manage costs? 
And then I end up having to lay a bunch of people off who came to work with me um, and, and live with the consequence of that in terms of what it felt like. And I learned more, grew more as a human being in that month than in any time in my life. And so I think failure and youth failure are the best opportunities to learn. That's where the growth comes. And uh, the other thing I want to touch on, uh, well, first of all, let me remind people they're listening to the Mentors Radio, and we're talking with Blair Shepard about improving your prospects of employability in the COVID environment. I want to touch a little bit on the uh, the networking. You talked about that in the last segment. Uh, it's been really amazing for me to see how people lose touch with their network over time until they hit a brick wall. Let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on networking. You meet a lot of people in your life, uh, some you don't want to maybe continue to work with or whatever, but the network is, becomes extremely valuable as you get older. And when you're talking about those four groups uh, for people in mid-career or close to retirement, both the uh, understanding your skills and then that network become extremely important for them in terms of navigating the future. Uh, could you talk of your, your view on the networking aspect and its importance? Yeah, I think it's important for all groups, and I agree with your point that actually it's an asset for the latter two groups that, um, in a sense, people probably haven't cultivated as much as they need to, right? Um, so so two things that were in the, in sort of the premise, the preface to your question, I think are really important. The first is it's a bad time to talk to someone the first time when you need their help. Um, and so keep people uh, keep people close, right? Stay connected, stay close, stay related. And the other one is, in a sense, um, be generous. So if you if you're generous with your network, it pays back. Um, and, and sometimes it pays back in the moment you described, which is you get a moment where you've lost your job or you need to reposition. You're trying to start a business and you need the network at that point in time. But also it just pays back generally in life because uh, things will happen that you don't even know where they came from, but they happen. And um, and so generosity pays. And I don't mean to say that you should be generous for self-interest reasons. I just mean to say you should be generous. Um, and uh, and if you do, it'll help. And then the other thing I think is when you are in a moment where you need help, um, ask for it because people have asked you for it before. And, and so don't be so proud. You can't ask those things you've already given to others. Hard thing to do. Have- have you, have you ever uh, read uh, Reed Hoffman's article about relationships and the four kinds of relationships yes. that we'll have? Yes, yes, I have. I mean, that resonates. I, I, I urge that for our listeners, uh, if you just Google on Reed Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn and relationships, he's got a great article about the character of relationships. And uh, what Blair is getting at is the uh, relationship that's built on things being done that are unconditional and how that really yes, creates exactly. strong relationships. Yeah. So exactly. that's, uh, it's reciprocity to your point, you know, reciprocity is kind of the heart of good relationships. Um, but, but it's in a sense, it's not, it's not anticipated reciprocity, right? It's not that I, right. do it, I don't bring you to dinner knowing you're going to bring me back. I invite you to dinner because I want you at dinner, right? I take, I, I help you because I want to help and when you do that, it just pays back ridiculously. Um, and, and so I do worry a bit, Tom, that as we talk about networks, people are being a little too instrumental today. They're, they're thinking about, I build a network to help myself. 
No. You build a network and a set of relationships with people that you care about. And and then there's this reciprocal help that just comes with it over the course of a lifetime. Yeah, you and I, when we talked last week, talked about value and people feeling valued. And the worst thing you can do to another individual is to devalue them. And the nature of your relationship and how it's conducted can be a source of uh, devaluing those relationships. So we're going to come back and talk some more about this. I'm with um, Blair Shepard. We're talking about employability in the new COVID, post-COVID environment. You can find all of our show notes and links at TheMentorsRadio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any of our shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. Today's guest mentor... Blair Shepard, former uh, Dean Emeritus, I should say, of uh, Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. So this is our last segment. I got a couple of final questions. Number one, with all of this uh, that we've talked about in the new environment, the need for a new kind of leadership, how has PwC uh, reacted to this? What Have they done anything concrete as a result of some of this work that you've done? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, there's sort of a uh, highlight of a few things. One of them is that we have made a massive investment, I mean, really massive in terms of orders of magnitude, I can't even tell you, um, to retool our all our people for a digital world, right? Um, including sort of so all of us do a digital fitness app. We, we look at how we're doing and we look at the things we need to improve to be more capable from the most senior leaders all the way to the brand new associate, right? And um, and and it's an ongoing, continuous thing. So the tool continues to change as the world changes. So just because you were really good at fitness six months ago doesn't mean you are today. Um, another thing that we've done is we've actually sort of realized that the world that our clients are operating in is a world that's increasingly integrated and complicated. And so we are trying to, we're working really hard at, at building partners who can have conversations with clients. Um, you think about it as kind of walking around a crystal ball and demystifying the, the environment our clients are operating in and helping them deal with the issues that come out of that increased clarification and then the ability to bring the whole firm to bear against whatever that problem is. Um, our legal capability, our tax capability, our advisory capability, our, our uh, forensics capability, just bring them all to bear against whatever the problem is. Um, and, and it's working really well. Um, and people are enjoying it a lot. One of the things that comes out of it is that partners who go through this say they're having more fun talking to their kids now um, because they're talking about things that they had never, kids never imagined they'd be able to talk about before. And I think the final one is that we are speeding things up a lot. Um, you know, one of the one of the very few positive benefits of COVID is it's taught us how to do things massively and fast, and uh, and we're trying to apply that to ourselves, reflect on the lessons, and then be the place that that is necessary for the future. It's been a lot of fun, and, and I think um, I think I'm earning my salary. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, and. And what uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Well, it uh, I was um, I had dropped out of school after first year of college and was trying to figure out what I want to do in life. And I was working steel mill. I worked with a guy, really wonderful man, um, in his late fifties, who 
we would go every Friday night and go have a drink with each other and just sort of talk about the week before he went home for the weekend and was with his family. And about halfway through the year, he said, Blair, I'm just sick and tired. Quit talking about what's wrong with education um, because I'm, I'm, I'm done with it, right? You either go back and get a PhD and work inside the system to fix it or just shut up and let's talk about the football team in our local town or the hockey team. And um, and so I got a kick in the pants that said, essentially, if you want to change the world, you have to succeed in the world to change it. Uh, now, that's not the only way you can, but I think it's the most effective way, and it's it stood me well. And you've met a lot of people around the world, students, uh, business people, politicians. When you look at all the people that you've met, those that you found to be most at peace and happy, what's the thread that you find that connects all those people? Um, so I think I, they have a few qualities, uh, or I see they've, they've made a few choices, I guess. One of them is they've chosen to be self-aware. So one of the ways you really get in trouble in life is that um, you think you're one thing and you think you're having one impact on people, you're having something entirely different. And so they have the humility to look in the mirror and say, what am I really doing? How am I really acting? How are people really receiving me? Um, the second is um, they don't regret. Right? They, they made a decision that it worked out or it didn't work out, and it's water on the bridge and they move on. And, and they learn from it. But but they don't regret it. They don't let it sit in their craw. So they're, they're not trying to make up for some mistake in the past. They're just moving to the future. And the third, I think, is that they've got a real sense of what matters in life. And so the people I know that, are, that I both admire the most and just seem most happy in themselves sort of understand that friends and family matter a lot and everything else is second to that. And, um, and that sort of achievement is about helping others be successful as much as it is yourself. And uh, well, that, they're, they're, they're kind of neat about that. You just like to. We're going to have to. So we're going to have to cut it off there. It's a great close. Uh, thank you very much for spending your time with us today. We've been talking with Blair Shepard, the global head of strategy and leadership at Price Waterhouse Coopers. Dean Emeritus of Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. And don't forget his new book, 10 Years to Midnight. You will find a link to it on our website. Learn more about this and other shows by going to our website. When you're there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Remember, you can listen to us online, any device, anytime at mentorsradio.com or on any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of the Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.